The world is a beautiful but challenging place to live. And let's face it, life hits hard sometimes. So if you find your hopes and dreams and mental well-being needs a boost, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Welcome to Inspire Us with your host, Jay Paul Nadeau, a former hostage negotiator turned motivational speaker and acclaimed author of Take Control of Your Life. And now, here's your host, Jay Paul Nadeau. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Inspire Us. Imagine being taken hostage. Imagine being taken hostage and held in captivity for two years. Well, that's exactly what my next guest went through. He was an anthropologist working for Doctors Without Borders when he was taken hostage and held for ransom. But throughout that ordeal, as you'll find out and as you will hear firsthand, he didn't give up hope. And he actually tried to make the best of a bad situation. And I think it should apply to most of our lives when we are faced with what seems to be such adversity and uncertainty. To hold on to one's hope, to hold on to one's values during these difficult times will truly make the difference. And now, without any further delay, it is my pleasure to introduce you to Arjun Urkel. Hello, Aryan, and welcome to Inspire Us. Thank you, Paul. Nice to be on your show. I am so happy to have you on my show. Our listeners know that I have met some incredible people on Clubhouse, you being one of them. I was in a negotiations room. We were talking about different negotiations. And that's where I met you, Aryan, as you remember. And your story was so so inspiring and different. And from a hostage negotiator's perspective, I was really, I was taken by your story so deeply. And this is a story that I would love you to share with our listeners because a lot of people don't hear this kind of story, your bravery, the things that you went through and the psychology that you use to get yourself out of that is just a story worth telling. So please, would you take us back to that time and take us through your remarkable story, Arjen? Yes, I will. I was working with Doctors Without Borders in, in Chechnya, which is a republic in Russia. And there was a civil war ending between the Islamic fighters and, and the, yeah, the Russian government. And as a humanitarian organization, we thought we would be more or less safe. We knew there were kidnappings. And on the 12th of August, I, uh, yeah, I was driving a car together with my driver, actually the driver was the driver, but, but we were blocked and then another car stopped us and then I was kidnapped. Uh, yeah, I knew they were coming after me when I saw them coming yeah, to me with, with the guns in their arms, of course. Uh, I stepped out of the car, they beat me almost to death. I, I didn't understand it because I thought I was going to be kidnapped, but that looked like they were going to murder me. But luckily, they, they put me in the car. They put a gun on my head, a gun on my chest. And then my yeah, 607 days of captivity started. And, and I can tell you, you know, you've been uh, doing all kinds of negotiations. And yeah, it, it, I lost everything in the beginning. I lost my, my, my status. I, I lost freedom, of course. I lost hope. I, I had so much pain, misery. But I couldn't show it because I wanted to connect with these people. I didn't want to sit to be the the soft guy from the West because that culture is quite quite hard in the in the southern part of Russia. Um, and of course, I wanted to survive, so I had to find a way to adapt myself. 
Um, of course, crying didn't help, feeling like a victim didn't help. But at moments when they didn't see me, of course, I cried a lot. I, I felt misery. I felt lonely. I felt like, why isn't anyone doing it? I, like we met on, on Clubhouse. I, I, I told you, Paul, where were you uh, to, <laughs> <laughs> to get me out? And yeah, I think my, my I don't know if it's bravery or intel, intelligence, but I was lucky enough to maybe meet the, the right kidnappers or maybe I was made to be kidnapped for once because we, yeah, I worked on a connection with those guys and, and it worked out. I, I had to fight really, I had to box, I had to tell them I didn't want to become a Muslim. I had to stand up for myself. Uh, I, yeah, uh, of course I, 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 I wished I didn't experience it, but at the, at the end it was also Although a very difficult school, it was a the University of Life, as, as they sometimes call it. But yeah, it, it's difficult, Paul, with people with masks, people who don't mind killing you, people using force, uh, armed to their teeth with Kalashnikovs, with 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 grenades, with knives, and then yeah, you have to find a way to not to be too soft. Definitely not in the beginning. No vulnerability in the beginning, but also not to be too yeah impressive or or how to call it to, to 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 be a danger for them so i had to find really the balance to be a friendly guy but not a sissy uh, and, and and to find my way to improve myself but also to improve the relationships with with, with the guys that kidnapped me and yeah luckily they also were not on drugs they weren't smoking they weren't drinking they were really islamic fighters and and somehow maybe because of their religion they also had to behave in a proper way and and, and because i told them i'm a christian i'm not going to take your religion i think they felt that i was brave enough to say that because they were fighting for their religion and and i was fighting for my culture and my values so, so that i think that's where we met each other i'd like to break down what happened just to give our listeners a clear picture of everything that well not everything we could possibly go through that the, the year was 2004 was it 2003 yeah, 2002 august 2002 till april 2004 okay so for two years you were held by islamic fighters in russia you yeah. were a doctor working for doctors without borders what kind of doctor are, are you are you or were you back then yeah, no, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I'm an anthropologist. But okay. I was, I was a, the country manager. I was working as country manager. And Wonderful. So here we have this picture that you're driving, your driver is driving you, and then suddenly your car is blocked, and a number of armed terrorists get out, and they grab you at gunpoint, and they, they kidnap you. They hold you hostage, and you were taken to a remote area. So just so we're getting the picture clear here, folks, can you imagine the terror of being someone who is just doing their job, driving in a car with a driver, and then suddenly that car is blockaded, and you are taken by force by a number of terrorists, and your life is now in their hands, and they can do whatever it is that they wish to do with you. And that's what Aryan went through. Now, Aryan, you were taken to this remote place. How many kidnappers would you say were involved in that attack? In the attack, there were four. And the first guys that, that really kidnapped me, they handed me over to a different group. And I found out that they were with 13 people because uh, they ro rotated. And uh, yeah, I, I, I managed to give them names. 
and I yeah I still remember 13 names, and and uh, yeah some of them they were, I didn't have any contact with, and with the others it, it yeah we were able to make uh, yeah yeah bonding is the big is a big word of course, but but to make a connection let's put it that way, and and at least build on respect and or or appreciation let's let's put it that way. Yes, let's go there uh, in just a few moments. I just want to make sure that I check in with you because my questions, I don't want to ask any questions that might elicit some kind of negative response in you. And no, it's okay, it's okay. Are you sure I can ask yeah, you, you can anything? Ask any question, yeah. Then I, for me, Paul, it's also interesting to talk to a negotiator and, and to find out what went wrong, what, what was it, were the good things. But yeah, what can I learn from you? Or what can the public learn more from me? Because you are also a professional uh, in the same field. I'm happy to answer those questions as well. The picture now is that these armed men with grenades and guns, they come, they abduct you, they bring you to a remote location. How long are you with the four people before you were handed over to the other 12? Uh, one week. One, one week. week. Now, let's go back to that one week. In the very beginning, I can only imagine that terror, uncertainty, just the belief that your life could be taken at any moment from the threats and, yep. the, and, and the beatings that you got in that first week. Would you take us there and give us an idea of what that first week for you was? Because I would imagine that that must have been the most terrifying. I'm not sure. There were some more moments, but no, definitely the, the worst was, of course, laying on the, on, on the ground when people start to beat you up. But, but then in the car, it also feels horrible when you have a gun really pressing at your temple. And I don't know if you have been in Russia, but the roads are horrible. So every bump, you feel the, the, the gun pointing again against your te temple. And I'm, um, I was yeah, really, really scared, of course, that something might go wrong because you know as well that the kidnappers are also nervous. They don't, don't do it every time. It's also, they thought I was a spy. They asked me, where's your gun? Uh, but of course, I'm a humanitarian worker. I didn't have a gun, but they, they didn't believe me. I, I, I talked to some Americans, to some American military attaches, and that's why they thought I was a spy. But while sitting there, you also try to, to find out what were the regulations? How should I behave? Uh, don't panic. Uh, I should stay calm. Don't, don't start to argue eh, because you don't want to die because of some simple argument about yeah, that you drive too fast or <laughs> that it hurts. But I was... I. I I felt the tears coming up, but I told myself, don't cry. Like I said before, don't be the sissy, don't beg. So then I, I found it, I had to find a way to say something because I yeah, I needed to say something. I wanted to save my, my life. So the sentence, I want to live, came up to me and I told them in Russian, I, I want to live. They said, okay, if you behave, we will also behave. But then also, I don't know if you've seen Pulp Fiction where John Travolta by accident shoots the guy and all his brains go all over the car. And I, it's one of my favorite movies. So I had to think about this movie because I thought, ah, oh, I hope those guys seen that movie as well. And that <laughs> I'm not going to be shot by, <laughs> by accident because I wanted to live. This feeling I want to live was so strong. And I think even though I didn't have a big lessons uh, or big, big, we only had like maybe two hours of prevention. All the lessons like don't panic, stay calm, don't be a hero. And, and I, I was like a helicopter, really yes, trying to figure out what should I do, what can't I do, be calm. Um, but then afterwards, it, yeah, they took me out of the car and 
and I was looking for humanity or how you call it for human for a human touch. For example, in the car, one of the guys put a towel on my head and I thought he's taking care of me already because I was bleeding a lot. But he said, no, otherwise the car will be dirty. So his his interests were, were different. And then I, I, I told myself, you're not going to try to understand people. You have to be 100% sure that you understand their message and that they understand my message. For example, I had lots of pain in my finger, lots of pain on my head. And every now and then you touch your head, for example, when you have pain. But they also knew I boxed. So I told them, no, no, I'm not going to hit you. I'm going to scratch my head. So don't be afraid. Uh, it's, it's, it's not to attack you. So you have to, yeah, de-escalate really and, and make sure that I'm not their danger. I'm not dangerous for them. But then still... Uh, there was no because they didn't want to kidnap me at that moment they said yeah we didn't want to kidnap you at the moment yet but this was such a good moment so we took you so we don't have a house so we didn't have water we didn't have food uh, we didn't have something to sleep uh, so i had to go to the toilet with two guys standing behind me with guns pointing at me which is very humiliating uh, all the worries about my own mental state am i strong enough physically mentally that worried me a lot well, of course my parents you can imagine you think about all the things that might go wrong and and how how will i be killed and does it hurt if i cut your throat so yeah it, now i can talk easily about it but at that moment you just worried wow okay what can i do what can't i do for example they asked do you have homosexual friends in the netherlands of course they think we're liberal and that everyone knows homosexual people and yeah what do you say one of my friends is a homosexual guy but then I knew radical Muslims and, 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 and homosexual, uh, homosexuality doesn't match. But then you have to stand up for yourself also. But I, I, I betrayed myself because I was too scared. I said, no, I, 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 I don't have any homosexual uh, friends. Uh, and then I felt so bad because betraying yourself is, is it's really bad. And, and then luckily they asked, yeah, we want you to become a Muslim. And I told them, sorry, I lied. I have one friend. He is a, yeah, we can't help it, but he, he's a gay. And I will never change my, my my background for you. And I think that that was good that I took myself back, or how you call it, that I. Yes. Yeah. You reasserted yourself yeah, and yeah, stood yeah. up to them because, and that's a big thing that you were talking about here. Um, you're a Christian, and you wouldn't give up your religion, at, at, or even say that you would just for survival. You were prepared to die on your morals and on your religious beliefs, which is yeah. something that uh, many people have done over the course. Of, of history as we've heard in some shocking, shocking stories, but the, your belief is your belief and you stood up to that. Now, this first week of this interaction, this captivity was very intense. And then as you explained, you were turned over to another group. Yeah. And it sounds to me like this was uh, clearly a kidnapping for ransom. Yes. And uh, and there were different organizations. So you were originally kidnapped by, I'm thinking, some amateur uh, kidnappers who really weren't professional. And as a result, you were turned over to a group. Were they more professional or were they also kind of in that amateur group of kidnappers? No, I think it, I asked them if it was the first time they kidnapped someone or they had to guard someone, but in their way of acting they were really professional they had the uniforms all the time they almost never forgot their mask they had guns everywhere they were, were guarding the place they had lots of discipline um so 
but I think it was a fighting unit that sometimes went to Chechnya to have a fight, but but as kidnappers, it was their first time, they, they told me, but as, as, as a group of disciplined rebels or, 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 or terrorists, that, that's, that's, that was quite professional, what I could see. And they right. cooked, they had the discipline, they had structure in their life, they, they were praying all the time, they had um, schools, a school system for, for reading more and more in the Quran. So at least organized, disciplined, and, and um, yeah, also like, I, I don't want to say a model uh, model rebels, but but like the noble rebels, they they, they they didn't beat me up, they didn't humiliate me. Of course, the situation is humiliating, but they didn't make it worse. So that, that, that also takes some professionalism, I think, because it's always easy to to kick someone extra if it's if he's already laying on the on the ground. It does. It, it certainly does. And what I find fascinating is the way in which your mind was constantly number one, you were thinking about survival, but number two, you were beginning to use negotiation into your, your situation in which you began to make a connection with your captors. And would you tell us about that? How were you able to, to get this, this connection in which there, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a mute. It, yeah, it's a mutual understanding and yeah. it's almost like a mutual respect. I would think that, uh, that resulted... time, for sure. right. Tell us about that. Yeah. Yeah. Where does it start? I think it started with a coincidence. One, one of the guys liked Pulp Fiction. So we talked for 10 minutes about Pulp Fiction on the first day that I met the new group. Then second, I had hair that time. I asked them because they told me that we don't have water. You can only take a shower once a week. So I asked them, can you cut my hair? And they did it very nicely. They, they even put iodine on, on my wounds. So that, that felt normal. Then uh, I think it also helped that I told them because they made the rules. Like we have to feed you twice a day. You can brush your teeth twice a day because I asked for toothpaste. But then sometimes they forgot that they took me out to, to the shower. So I, I knocked on the door. I said, hey, you made the rules about twice a day. I can go to the shower. So live according to it. Then um, I didn't make problems. When they forgot their mask, I told them, put on your mask. After six weeks, I found a gun in the toilet. At first, I thought I'm going to shoot you all. Uh, but then I realized, yeah, I can't shoot four guys because I'm not a trained, uh, I've, I've never touched a gun. And I also thought it's still within the two months. They thought it's going to, to, to be two months. So I, I, I handed back the gun, but I told them I could have shot, uh, shot you or shoot you. So which they also realized that, okay, uh, thanks to him, we're, st we're still alive. Um, and, and I think also not showing my pain too much, but I'm not sure about that. But that's what I believe that I shouldn't complain. I, I, I shouldn't cry when they were uh, watching me. So I, I took it as a, yeah, I don't know how to say it. But, uh, yeah, maybe as a man, or maybe even women can also take it as a as a woman. But the saying is, take it as a man. Um, and I'm not a bad person in general, so I can easily, yeah, talk to people. And 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 another thing, sorry that I'm talking so much. I'm an anthropologist, so normally anthropologists study other different cultures. So when all the pain went away after ten days. Because the first 10 days I was really feeling bad. And every now and then it popped up, like you said, sometimes there were ultimatum videos, then you feel bad. When you have to help newspapers, then you feel bad. If you're in the trunk of a car because you're moved to other situations, then it's also bad. But 
yeah, I, I think I, I managed to study them, to, to be curious about their life. So I started asking questions, not too many, but really to be interested. First of all, to be functional, because then my life would be better if they start giving me better food or books or TV. But then at a certain moment, yeah, it's also interesting. Why do people want to be a rebel? What does it do to their life? Uh, how did they fight in, against the Russians? What did they experience? So, yeah, and they were eager to tell about the Islam. So I, yeah, I asked lots of questions. Of course, sometimes it's not interesting, but yeah, sometimes it was. And the same for them. I asked them after 20 months, uh, did you feel fine or did you feel really interested to talk to me every now and then? And, and they said, nah. Most of the time we did, but sometimes we felt we were a bit lonely. And because they were also stuck and you have to, I think the overall picture, sometimes you have, of course, I felt pain, I felt victimized, but it doesn't help you. I cried a lot and, and it, of course, it relieves your situation, Paul, but it doesn't improve your situation. So you have to, you have to find ways to, I, it's a bit of a game also. I, I, I you have to maybe because I'm I'm not a winner in life. I don't have to win with playing cards or with football. But sometimes you want to win. For example, if you write a book, you want to write a good book. If 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 you have a podcast show, you want to have nice guests with good interviews. So sometimes you have to fight for your. Uh, and in that way, yeah, it's lots of examples. We we started to, or I started to to build up my position. I see that. And Aryan, number one, you do not have to apologize for talking. Absolutely not. No, okay. I'd, I'd, like to, I'd like to touch on a few things that you said because they're so important. At, originally, you were given the impression that it would be a two-month captivity. It ended up to being two years. I can only imagine the thoughts that were going on in your mind, wondering who was coming to help you out. Yeah where the negotiator was, where in the heck is San Diego? As there was a, there were like Carmen San Diego was, where in the heck is Carmen San Diego? Well, where in the heck is the hostage negotiator? Why are the negotiations not go, not happening quickly enough? Yeah, yeah. Your, psych, your psychology or the, the tactics that you used were, were showing or at least trying to show no fear. And you said, well, maybe I manned up and some women can do it. Of course, anybody can do it. It's not a, a, a man or woman thing. It's a matter of showing the least amount of fear because in doing so, you they don't look at you as being weak. And that psychologically helps actually in situations. It's yeah. amazing. Once we show fear, then they take, some people can take advantage of that and really hurt you. Now, you also said that you were holding newspapers and that you were locked in trunks and all this kind of stuff. So how much were they looking to release you for? What was the number, the dollar value yeah. that they had mentioned? That's also interesting, Paul, because I, I know you're not supposed to ask when you're kidnapped eh? because you... <laughs> yeah, it's not, hey, uh, how much do you want from me? Oh, that's yeah, not I'm... enough, ask for more. Yeah, but I was, of course, you like, People nowadays want to have certainty about when is COVID finished um, and we want to have our lives back. I also wanted to know when do I, when is it finished? And of course, the lower the amount, the quicker it will go up. At least it was <laughs> then they, so I asked them the first day, actually, when I was just kidnapped. And they said, yeah, we heard that some guy from Doctors Without Borders was kidnapped the previous year. And, and there was a guy kidnapped and that $12 million was uh, paid. So they said, yeah, we're going to ask 12 million. And I was like, 
Hey, but, yeah, and it was true. I said, yeah, but I heard that this guy was released for, for free, right? for, yeah, because one of your rebel leaders at the Doctors Without Borders is a perfect organization and, and let him go. So I told him that, and they said, no, no one ever goes out for free. And then I said, yeah, but it's, it's, it's way too much, 12 million. <laughs> you started the negotiation. <laughs> yeah, but not on purpose, not on purpose, Paul. Oh, I know, I know. Yeah. And, and then they said, yeah, what, what do you think is a good amount? And I don't want to offend people, but, but it's a real story. And I thought, okay, maybe 1 million is enough right? because I don't want to say $10,000 because they, they cut them. So I said $1 million. And those guys said, are you Jewish? Why, why Jews? Yeah, because in some cultures, Jewish people are a bit uh, at, at the money. I said, no, I'm, I'm just yeah, thinking that's the right amount. But then they lowered it already to five. So I think that they would have been happy with five. Yeah. Okay. For me, I'm telling this about being Jewish. Uh, in a radical Muslim situation, it's, it's not nice to be uh, thought of, of being Jewish because they hate each other. And, and from that moment, it took me like half a year to get rid of the image of being Jewish. Mm. So, yeah, mm. So. Mm. I can only imagine what those two years were like. Now, were there any indications whatsoever at any time in this captivity? in which you were informed that negotiations were actually happening or were you kept in the dark about any of these negotiations or what was happening in the background? Now, sometimes, of course, people came to, to take pictures. So, so then, you know, and, and, and then I got energy. I thought, yes, yeah, someone is looking after me. I'm going home soon because this is the last moment of giving a proof of life. And, and that made me strong again. But then afterwards, after it fell down, if, if no follow-up was given, it, it made it more difficult. But in total, there were three pictures made and one ultimatum video. They two times an ultimatum video, but only one came came to the Netherlands. And the last eight months, uh, no, no, no any sign of negotiation. So that's also exactly what you said. I was thinking, what what the heck is going on? What a kind of unprofessional director I have, or maybe he doesn't care. Maybe he tries to wash his hands and he says, okay, we tried, but let him go. And of course, that's also painful when you, of course, I, I knew my parents would do everything, but of course they cannot come with their suitcase full of money to bring it to, to Chechnya somewhere or to Dagestan. But that was really painful. And, and of course I realized I, I made the pain myself because I, I was thinking bad about my organization, but yeah. At the end, it also took them too long to hire special people to to, to finalize it. They wanted to, to solve it themselves for, I think, at least a year. But yeah, I, I think if, if your bank is robbed by, by some bank robbers, you're also not going to look for your bank robbers yourself. You, there's some people who are specialized in getting hostages out. I don't know how you think about that. Yes, yeah, I'm going to touch on that because I just want our listeners to understand that there are different types of hostage takers and some hostage takers, they it's a spur of the moment unplanned situation in which a robbery goes wrong, or a domestic situation gets out of hand someone is taken hostage, it could happen at any time when a criminal fouls up and finds themselves trapped. And the only thing that they can do is take someone hostage as a means of trying to negotiate their way out of a bad situation. In this situation with you, Arian, 
it was a these hostage takers are business people and you are a piece of property to them in which they can barter and negotiate for a price to release and if not they could easily kill you mm -hmm. and so i can only imagine and i want all our listeners to just imagine that you are on a holiday or anything and then suddenly you are taken captive and held for ransom and as aryan said there were a couple of ultimatum videos taken in which if you don't act now he's dead and the psychological roller coaster that you must have been put on going from one extreme to another and using your psychology to make a connection with your captors was brilliant my friend and your courage was brilliant so i applaud you that i'm certain contributed to the fact that you are here today on my podcast speaking to me because it easily could have gone the other way yeah. mm, you're, you're you're a brave man and I, I applaud you for that you're here and i'm thankful for that now let's go towards the end of of your captivity when was it that you knew you were going to be released i never knew um, oh. they, they promised that i would stay till the end and at the now, after 16 months, we already started to move but because I think the, the secret services knew where we were and it became too hot for them to stay at one place. And then I could always take my belongings, like a book. At the end, I got the toothpaste, I got the extra clothing. But then at the end of April, in the middle of April, they said, you were going to hand you over to another group. Uh, you're not allowed to bring anything. Um, and then, then I was like, uh-oh, mm. <laughs> this is scary. This is going to be the end because, of course, I would never trust them for 100%. And why can't I take my stuff? If I don't need stuff, that it means it's going to be the end. And, and, and I asked them several times, am I really going to be handed over to another group? They said, yeah, you're going to be handed over to a different group. And, of course, I didn't trust them. I didn't believe it. I, I think I asked every, there were four kidnappers at that time. Everyone I asked, where are we going? Yeah, we don't know, but, but we have mm -hmm. to say bye. Can I take my toothbrush? No, you don't need a toothbrush. Okay. Yeah. But then they also said, please don't escape because yeah, wait, even when you're on your knees with a gun against your head, maybe something positive can happen. Which also makes sense because if you run away, you're dead anyway. So sometimes I, I, I don't know if you've seen these movies that journalists are killed in, in Syria and, 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 and people start wondering, why don't they run away? Because I think, no, I, I noticed myself at least, at the end, you still think it's, they're not going to kill me, right? because uh, you're worth money or, or for 20 months you're stuck with them. But anyway, uh, so they put me in the trunk and, and their last words were, it's a big trunk, don't feel uh, offended. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember now, I, I forgot about it. but. Yeah, and then yeah, the, after two, three hours of, yeah, of, 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 I don't know how to call it, but of course, it's also, yeah, I'm not English, of course, but is it worrisome or is it scary or is it, yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's too much anyway. And then, then I saw guys without a mask and, and, and they said, you're, you're free, but I didn't believe them because I was worried that they showed their face. But then within two, three minutes, they called the Dutch embassy, had a Dutch diplomat on the line. They said, we're going to send a, uh, a plane. But the, the, the moment of 
handover was in the mountains. I was in the truck and then down somewhere in the valley. I, I saw the guys, but yeah. Yeah, of course, I also didn't trust them. But the, the telephone call made me sure, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm free. Wow. So I expected people. Oh, I, yeah. That is remarkable. And just to give a little bit of context, I suppose, or, or explanation to what was happening in the background, clearly there were some negotiations going on for how long and how often we don't know. And the behind the scenes uh, between Doctors uh, Without Borders and the professional hostage negotiators in situations like this, where it is business negotiations in some way, we don't know exactly what's being said and who they're talking with, who the leader of this organization was. You mentioned that there was one leader that released one of the Doctors Without Borders on a previous occasion, because he felt that, of course, and rightfully so, Doctors Without Borders is a wonderful organization helping the less fortunate and just going in and healing people and trying to heal people, great organization. In this situation, for over two years, you were held in captivity. How many times those negotiations were going on, we just will we'll never find out because we can't go behind the scenes, but clearly they were happening. Now, when you were released, did you ever find out whether there was a dollar value that was handed over to the terrorists who took you? Yeah, of course, in the beginning, they said it's a secret, but of course we paid and then it was leaked to the press. Uh, so one million was paid. Okay. And yeah. isn't that what you first came out with? That was yeah. your first yeah. prediction is that, <laughs> hey, give them a million dollars. We could have done that in two days. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> you became the crisis and hostage negotiator. Aryan, thank you so much for this incredible story and sharing this. I applaud your bravery. And for just, again, to, to repeat it's so important in situations where you are in crisis not to show that fear uh, and, to, and to always hold on to hope, which you did. I also want to touch on the fact that you never gave up your religion, your beliefs, your morals, your principles. You connected with your hostage takers. You managed to make a connection on a human level, which I'm sure that you you probably played games at some point, you know, during the two years, you spoke, you you shared stories. Yep. You were you helped yourself to survive uh, psychologically and physically. And that's something that uh, it, it takes a lot of bravery and it takes a lot of guts and, and the same thing. Bravery and guts are the same thing. So silly me. But I thank you for coming on to the show. I want our listeners to be aware that you have a book that you've written on this topic, on your experience. How can people get a hold of your book? What's the title of it? I, yeah. will, be putting, I will be putting this in my show notes as well. Okay. Now, the easiest is going to Amazon and, and type held hostage. And then, of course, my, my Dutch name is very difficult, but it's Arjan Erkel. I will spell it for you. A-R-J-A-N. And then E R K E L, held hostage, Amazon, and yeah, it, it's it's easily written, and and yeah, you see the like like Paul is mentioning the, the the mental part of making connection with people. That's that's what I'm proud of, and and that's also makes makes it worth reading for sure. Aryan, you should be proud of that. 
when I first heard you speak, I was so impressed by, you know, your resilience, your strength, your power, and your story. Of course, all of that in, in, one, in one area was amazing. And to have you actually on my podcast is a real pleasure for me. And I thank you so much for coming on. That's a book I'm sure people would like to read. It's based on a true story. It's actually a true story. Not only based, it is a true story about someone who is held captive, just doing their job, but held captive for over two years, managed to survive and is here sharing his incredible story with the world. Aryan, you are a fine example of humanity. I thank you so much for sharing your time with me today. Thank you, Paul, for being in uh, your podcast. Great to, um, to talk to you. I am looking forward to seeing you on Clubhouse again and to carrying on this conversation, my friend. Okay, cool. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another insightful episode. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave your comments. For more information, check out our website at www.inspireus.ca. Remember, it's not what happens to us that matters most. It's how we respond to what happens to us that does. Stay strong and resilient. 